0: Father, we are thankful that you have made a way, a highway, a path, a course of life for your people. And it's one that leads out of death and into life. And God, we want tonight to open our eyes and to see this path, to see what the way is about. And we want to be those who are walking on it and living it out. So I pray that you would open eyes, that we would be able to see That we would be able to know and to walk. Let your spirit empower us. Let the blind see tonight. In your son's name we pray. Amen. The way is not a decision we make. That is what you and I often think about when we think of the way of Christianity or something. You go to the Harvest Crusade, you hear certain messages, and there's these altar calls, or there's this climax, where it pits you in this emotional corner, and it says, decide the way or not the way, your way or God's way. But as I've been looking at the way, and I've been looking at Jesus, I've come to the conclusion that the Gospels, particularly Mark, do not want us to look at the way as a decision that we make. Rather, the way... Is a direction we take. It's a course, and it's it's a line. It's a, it's not. I'm sorry. It's not a line in the sand. Like, are you on the way? Or are you not? And all you got to do is pick what side of the line. It's more of an arrow. It's a direction shooting this way, and the way is taking you somewhere. And there's no hopping back and forth. If you're moving in a particular direction, that is what the way is. It's not a decision we make, but it's a direction we take. And Mark is very concerned with this theme, the way. Um, in the Greek language, the way is hados. It's O-D-O-S in our language. And there's an accent mark which makes it go ha. Huh. So it's hodos. And this word is translated so that you can find it in your Bibles. It's translated as either road, roadside, uh, path, way, Things like that. It deals with a, either a physical road you walk on or a metaphorical road that's talking about this course or this conduct of life. And Mark uses the word hadas to tell us about the way. It's the, that's, by the way, the same word in John um, fourteen six 6. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, life. It's, I am the hadas, the truth, the life. So Mark talks about hadas. The way, 16 times. And what is cool is that all of these references happen in the beginning of his gospel. And they disappear as Jesus gets to Jerusalem. Mark's gospel is concerned with the way. He's talking about this path, this direction. And he's showing Jesus through this way. And then it leads him up to Jerusalem. And once he gets to Jerusalem, Hadas disappears because... That's where the way is going. You follow me? The way in Mark's gospel starts at the beginning and takes you to Jerusalem. And it's almost like it leaves you to scratch your head and say, I think I see what the way is about. Do you see what the way is about? Well, actually, that's what Mark wants you to do. Look with me. One verse one. I'll show you how he starts the gospel. Then we'll get to the meat of our stuff, which is in chapter eight. He says this: the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah, "Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your hadas. Hadas, your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way, the hadas of the Lord, make his path straight." You see how Mark opens it up right there, boom. This is about Jesus, and he uses hadas twice. <laughs> And then he talks about John the Baptist, and it kind of mellows out a little bit. What Mark is doing is he's opening up the gospel with the way, and he's almost inviting you. It's like, here's the way, and now he's like, for the readers, okay, you get the point. I'm talking about the way, and now he's like, he's inviting you to, as you go through Mark, and you're watching Jesus, to, to look for the way. Find what that way is, that path that is being prepared and Mark seems to be hinting that Jesus is going to walk that path. He's going to walk that hadas that way. So look for him, watch him and see what it looks like. Where does it go? Where does it start? So Mark in this gospel is inviting us to follow Jesus on the way. And in chapter eight, we begin to see what this is. There's a couple loose references in between, but in chapter 8, we get to the meaty stuff. And he's going to open it up like this. He's basically saying, I'm going to talk about the hadas, so look for it in Jesus. And as the story goes, he hints at you how you're supposed to find it with the story of two blind men. So here's the first story of the two blind men. Okay, first is in 822. 822, they came to Bethsaida... And some people brought to him a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes. (laughs) Just pause. Can you just put yourself in that moment? You're blind. (laughs) (sighs) What <laughs> What's going to happen? And he, oh, no, he did not just do that. He's, sorry, uh, it was probably a lot nicer than that. He spit on his eyes, laid his hands on him. He asked him, do you see anything? Well, he looked up and said, uh, I see men, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and he opened his eyes and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. No more trees. He sees it clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. This is kind of strange because Mark here is very real with us about Jesus. He touches the, the blind man, and he doesn't even see the first time. Like, I thought Jesus could do everything. Like, you can see, he had to do it twice. Like, like, what's going on with this double opening the eyes of the blind man? I think what Mark is doing is that this, by the way, is the beginning of the way. After this passage, we see Jesus starting on this path to Jerusalem. It's his last and final trip. He's going there and he's going to tell the disciples, I'm going to die and all this stuff. They're like, (laughs) whatever. And Mark is opening our eyes to something. He's saying, "Look, you all might have heard of this Jesus character before. You might even think you're following him. But be ye warned that your eyes may not be as open as you think. Because this hadas, this way, is an abandoned way. Many profess Jesus, but they're not walking on it. And it seems as if those who, quote, have made a decision are not quite seeing clearly. They see something, but it's like overgrown with trees. And it's not quite clear. And Mark's calling us to say, we need Jesus to open our eyes that the way would become clear and we would see it and we would get it. Yeah, so these are going somewhere, and I hope that this is part of opening the eyes of the blind. that You can see this, right? It's real. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> it almost fell over. But what I love here is what Jesus asked him in verse 23. Touches him and says, do you see anything? That's our question right now before we follow Jesus on the way. Do you see anything yet? We haven't even done anything yet. But have you seen anything in the messages JC has shared? Have you seen anything in Adam, Abraham? uh, What else did you do? The Exodus and Jesus. Have you seen anything yet? Oh God, give us sight to see now. So he does the first blind man. And then watch this. In chapter 10, verse 46, there's a second blind man. 1046, they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and with a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the hadas, roadside. It's the same Greek word for the way. He was sitting by the way, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Go your way. That's not Hadass. Let's just go. Your faith has made you well. And he immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. What we're going to do now is look at everything in between these two stories of the healing of the blind men. The first one, do you see anything? The second one, eyes are open, and what happens? He follows Jesus on the hadas, on the way. What is Mark doing? He's going to show us, because you see in chapter 11, that Jesus goes to Jerusalem. The very next scene, he's in Jerusalem, the triumphal entry. So what he's done is he's framed this journey of Jesus on the way, from blind man opening his eyes, all the way to blind man opening his eyes, then he's in Jerusalem. This is the way. It's in between these two blind men. And we're going to look at it. And this is what we're going to see. Uh, Renee knows this. Because she happens to be cursed. And and it's in my Bible class. So she's heard something that I call the trilogy of suffering. (laughs) And we're going to see the trilogy of suffering right here. Oh, Brie was there at that time too. We're going to see the trilogy of suffering here. This is what the way is. Three times, Jesus tells the disciples... I'm going to Jerusalem. That's why we're on this path. We're going to Jerusalem. And there I'm going to die and I'm going to rise from the dead. Three times he says that. Guess how the disciples respond each time. What? Blindness. Total blindness. And we're going to see one time Peter tells him you can't do that. Another time they're arguing about who's the greatest. And another time the others want to be king and queens next to Jesus. Totally don't get it. And then the whole thing ends each time, these three times, with Jesus calling them to himself and giving them a lesson about what it looks like to be a follower of him on the way. You see now the framing of the blind men? This whole section, chapters 8, 9, and 10, are about Jesus opening eyes to see what it means to be a follower of him on the way, on the hadas. So let's take a look at these the first <sighs> jc <laughs> the first is in 827 and jesus went with 827 if you didn't hear it, 827 jesus went with his disciples to the villages of cesarea philippi and on here you go the hadas on the way he asks, his see what mark's doing we're on the path now uh he asks his disciples who do people say that i am And they told him, John the Baptist, others said Elijah, others said one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And then Jesus gets real stern and says, don't tell anybody about this. And then he began to teach them. Here we go. The first prediction that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise. And he said this plainly. Verse 32. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. (laughs) But turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus said, uh, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So you see the pattern here. Prediction. I'm going to die. The disciples are blind. Oh, listen up, Jesus. This is not how the Messiah does things. This is not what the Christ is meant to do. You're not going to go to Jerusalem and die. And then Jesus says, you don't get it, Peter. You're acting like Satan and you're opposing the way right now. And now he's going to call them to himself and teach them the lesson. So verse 34, calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. So this is the lesson he tells them. This is what the way looks like, my disciples. You're blind right now. Let me help you see. It's taking up your cross, denying yourself, and following after me. This is the first emblem of the way. The first illustration Jesus gives the disciples. This is what the way looks like. Let me help open your eyes. It's the cross. It's not only what I'm going to Jerusalem to do, but it's what I'm calling you to do also. Okay, so we hear this all the time. Take up your cross, take up your cross. And we see old people with arthritis and they say, I guess it's my cross to bear. And we see people have cancer and they sometimes, you know, this is my cross. And like we hear that all the time. Like it's my suffering. That's not what Jesus means. He doesn't mean just like you're living life. Something bad happens. Boom, there's your cross. Ha ha. Now you're carrying it. This is a call to participation. This is a call to a choice. This is a call to pick this up daily. And the cross to us speaks of hope, but to the Jews and to the people hearing him right there, this meant Roman execution of criminals. This meant death. And when you are picking up your cross and carrying it, think of Jesus in Jerusalem. Was he carrying it and saying, just a minute, soldiers, I need a lemonade break. They were beating him and whipping him on his way as he's carrying the cross. Carrying the cross means you are no longer the selector of your destiny. But you're on a predetermined path. And that path is one of surrender unto death. And that's what Jesus did as he carried his cross. He goes up to Jerusalem and they give him the cross and he's carrying it. And he goes and he dies on the cross. So carrying your cross, taking it up, means surrender. It means giving up my way for the way. It means losing my self-importance and picking it up in Jesus. It does not look like Peter. (laughs) Jesus starts telling him, this is what's going to happen to me. And Peter goes, this is not what you're going to do, Jesus. This is not for cool people. This should never be seen on anybody, especially a Christ, a messiah. And Peter begins to oppose the way because it isn't going the way he thought it would. And guys, that's a lesson that we see. Sometimes the way, when we walk on it and follow Jesus there, is that it does not always coincide with your ways. Sometimes they run into each other. And that we're not to be like Peter and to start to criticize the way. We're to start to criticize maybe something within us that needs to change. Maybe we need to surrender and pick it up and follow the path. Taking up your cross, as Jesus calls him, you must take it up. It's also participation. It's surrender and it's participation. And this is big because I think we never talk about this anymore. We look at the cross, and usually we think of Jesus on it. And we say, Jesus died for me. For my sins. So that I wouldn't have to do that. And we look at the cross as a symbol of substitution. But what Mark is calling us to. Is that the cross isn't just substitution. Jesus did this for me. It's participation. Jesus is calling me to do this with him. Yeah, you may not physically hang on Calvary. On the cross physically, literally. But there's a surrender. There's this this dying to your own life that Jesus is calling us to. And the beauty of this call is that the way doesn't stop at the cross. The way goes through it. And it goes to Easter Sunday. It goes to resurrection. And Jesus is calling us to die to your old life that you may live a new life. You may be resurrected as a new creature. So what Jesus is telling us is that the way looks like this it's living by dying that as I die to my own way I then find life on his way that's what the cross means eye number one is opened <laughs> eye number two there's only two eyes but, um, we're going to need a third so number two this is the second time he predicts his death 930 9 verse 30 So they went on from there and passed through Galilee and he did not want anyone to know for he was teaching his disciples and saying to them, prediction number two, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed after three days, he will rise. But here we go again, their blindness. They did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. (laughs) I'm going to go die. We don't get it. So let's fight about who's the greatest amongst us as we're walking on the way. And Jesus is saying, what are you talking about? And they're like, they didn't want to say. And so he's like verse 35. um, He sat down with the, uh, he sat down and called the 12 and he said to them, if anyone would be first Like you guys are arguing about who's first. He must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took up a child. Here's where the baby comes in. It's a child. And he put him in their midst. And it says that Jesus held the child and said, Whoever receives him, her, (laughs) receives me. And whoever receives me receives the Father. And I, I read that this week, and I'm thinking of this child, and I'm thinking of, what does this have to do with the way? <laughs> She's not quite there yet. She's got one eye open. <laughs> and I'm looking, at, I'm looking at this passage, and I'm thinking, they're arguing about who's the greatest. Jesus teaches them a lesson and says, okay, on the way, it's not about who's first. It's about something else. And then he takes a child and says, you must receive this. And I'm like, what the heck does this have to do with arguing about who's greatest? (laughs) (laughs) And I came to this conclusion. That I think that when Jesus here, he's not denying the disciples of greatness. He's not saying you're not allowed to be great. Don't even talk about that. It's rather their understanding of what greatness means. Greatness on the way is not about self-exaltation. I'm very important. I don't need children. I don't need all these squirmy little brats. That's not that's not greatness on the way. That's greatness in our world. CEOs and rulers of companies and politicians. You wouldn't see them crawling around with kids and things. I'm too important to stop and have fun, <laughs> unless it's golf. So it's not about self exaltation. But neither is it about leaving the last. And I think that this is what we think of greatness. We, we think that to be great means leave the last behind. And this is why Jesus grabs the baby, I think, the child. This, especially in their culture, this was an emblem of the last. Children, children had no rights. Children had no importance. They were kind of like, well, raise them until they're good enough to help the farm or help us live. And Jesus is preaching to their understanding of what greatness means. I become first by separating myself, by leaving the last behind. And that's what we do in this world. The great people don't associate the last. That would confuse their identity, their status. They separate themselves. There's a chasm. And that's what greatness looks like in our world. But Jesus says, on my way, it's not about leaving the last behind. It's about, as he takes a child in his arms, it's about receiving the last. This is greatness. Not being a child. Greatness is receiving the child. Or receiving those who are last. You see what he's saying? It's okay to be great. But don't be great like the world and separate yourself from people. Be great in the sense that you care about the ones that don't seem to matter to the world. That's true greatness. And it makes me wonder this. Are we okay with receiving and not receiving back? You know what I'm saying? Sometimes we're cool with receiving people. We're like, oh, he could be a good friend to me. And we're getting something back. But are we okay with... (coughs) Receiving and not getting something back in return. This child isn't going to give you anything. You're going to change its diaper. You're going to have it strew all over you. There's not a whole lot that's going to be received, but Jesus is saying this is what greatness looks like on the way. The way is not just about living by dying, but it's about achieving first by receiving the last. So it's okay to be great, but greatness looks like hanging around with those that we don't consider great. That's what the way looks like. Then the third time, we come to our third, the throne. (laughs) And this is in 1032. So this is the final time Jesus talks to them. They're coming to the end. They're almost at Jerusalem. You can imagine this scene. The crowd is getting bigger, because they're all going to Jerusalem. It's Passover time, so this is what they all do. And Jesus is leading the way, and they can see Jerusalem on the horizon. And so on 1032, Jesus for the third time makes his prediction. And they were on the road, that's the same word Hadas. They were on the way, going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid, because they're all thinking Jesus is going to go start a revolution. And they're amazed that he's out front, like he could be shot before he even gets to Jerusalem. So that's why they're all amazed and afraid. Uh, and taking the twelve again, he began to tell them and tell them what was happening to him. Verse 33, 3, saying, The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. Next <coughs> three days he will rise. Okay. Announcement. So what, now what are the disciples supposed to do? They're supposed to act blind, right? So this is the third time we'll see this. And check out, this is like the climax of their blindness. Look what James and John do. So James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come up to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Jesus said to them, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and the other at your left. (laughs) And you see what they're asking? This is ridiculous. So you're going to go to Jerusalem and become his king, right? Let us have the glory with you. I want to be your king and your queen. I want to sip wine from your cup. Oh, yeah. This is totally what they're asking. Right? And Jesus asks the them all sorts of questions. <laughs> this is my scepter. <laughs> Jesus starts asking them questions like, uh, do you think you can actually do this? And like, oh, we couldn't totally do it. And then he gets it. Like, you disciples don't get it. You're still blind. This is what you think the way's about? Thanks. <laughs> this is not what the way's about at all. So he called the disciples together again. And here's his third and final lesson. And in verse 42. By the way the disciples. The other ones got really angry that they did this. Like why don't we think of that. In verse 42. Jesus called them and said to them. (laughs) You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles. Lord it over them. And the great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you. Must be your servant. And whoever would be the first among you must be slave of all and here jesus says i'm the example for even the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many i'm james and john this is what i want jesus also says you look like a gentile ruler a heathen this is how everybody rules right kings of history even our president gets a nice little salary, gets all his attention, gets all his cushiness, keep everybody away from him, he's an important man, we'll serve him. Of course, it was worse when kings held all the money for themselves. Obama doesn't hold all the money, so he doesn't get to, he would be way more extravagant if he got to. So, you know. And Jesus says, but this is what it looks like to be served. Slave more! (laughs) Slave more! And it's like everybody's coming to help you and to serve you and you've got the power. And this is what James and John want. And Jesus is like, no, this is not the way. It's not about being served. But it's about serving. And serving looks more like this. Jesus said the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. And so serving, or giving your life up, as Jesus did, is about giving your throne up. It's about getting off of it now that doesn't sound very fun does it it's like oh so we just give up all this glory like what, what, what's the point of that i think the point of it is this james and john are mentioned as these guys jesus is calling them to be different and then the very next scene mentions a blind man now notice that in the first blind man he was unnamed right the guy that saw trees and then he saw more clearly because Jesus touched him again. It didn't say his name. It just said he's a blind man from Bethsaida. But this second blind man, at the tail end of this whole path, the way that Mark is showing us, this guy's named as Bartimaeus. Oh, the son of Timaeus, by the way. Why is he named? I think is what Mark is doing. Is he's intentionally pitting James and John against Bartimaeus. These are the Gentile lords that want to be served. Bartimaeus gets it, and he follows Jesus on the way. Bartimaeus is the example. So what it means for us to give up our life and to serve, Nick's going to come up and help us, is it's like this, James and John, but Jesus is saying, No, give up your life, which means give up your throne, find blind men. It's over this way. Look out for this okay watch your right okay good good it's about finding blind men and putting them on your throne (laughs) putting the crown on them that their eyes may be opened maybe they're beginning to see the way now and it's about being a servant I notice your chalice is empty, sire. And I think that that's what Mark is showing us with the final installment of the way is that that's what it means. It means to serve is to get off of your throne, to find blind men like Bartimaeus, and to show them what the way looks like. This is how the way treats people. And their eyes will be opened. And that they will then follow Jesus on the way. You may go back, thanks, Nick. Unless you really like this. Don't drink the water. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to finish with this connection I noticed between James and John and blind Bartimaeus. You might have picked up on this. Notice that Jesus asks James and John, What shall I do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Well, we want to sit on the throne. And then when he comes to blind Bartimaeus, in verse 51, he asks him the same question. Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? The exact same question asked to both of them. James and John, what do you want me to do for you? Well, you know... (laughs) Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? I just want to see. I want to follow you on the way. And that's the question that we want to leave with. Is before we were asked, do you see anything? And I hope that we see something now. We see that the way is about living by dying. It's about achieving first by receiving the last. It's about ruling by serving. Do you see anything? I think I see. I think I see the way. So now the question is, what do you want Jesus to do for you? And your answer to that question tells me if you're still blind or if you're following him on the way. We should answer Jesus. We want you to open our eyes so that we can see you and follow you on the way. So Father, I ask that that would be indeed what you do for us. We pray that you bless us in order that we may set those blessings up as a throne for others. Let us be a blessing because you've blessed us. Jesus, clear back the trees from the path and let us see this direction to take. Let us follow you as you lived and went to Jerusalem and served and died and received the last. We pray in your son's name. Amen.